Jacqueline Kennedy makes a late season visit to Expo 67, touring several of the major attractions, including the U.S. Pavilion. Her weekend at the fair created a human traffic jam as huge crowds followed her everywhere she went on the exposition grounds. Jackie remained enormously popular as 1967 wound down. It seemed that visitors to the World's Fair in Montreal wanted to catch a glimpse of her as much as they did all the space-age gadgets that were on display. Marines escorted her through the U.S. exhibit, followed by stops at the Russian, British, Canadian, and Mexican pavilions. Mrs. Kennedy, one of the glamour attractions at Expo. Newsreels show that Jackie seemed to be enjoying herself, and why not? The assassination was now four years in the rearview mirror, and she was in a new relationship. She was happy, and life was good. But not for long. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to Jackie a podcast about my book that explores Jacqueline Kennedy's life from November 1963 to October 1968, her transformation from First Lady to Jackie O. That new relationship was with David Ormsby Gore, also known as Lord Harleck, the former British ambassador to Washington during the Kennedy era. In the spring of 1967, his wife, Sissy, was killed in a car crash. Her death brought David and Jackie together in shared grief. They began spending time together, including a long trip to Cambodia in November. Royal Cambodian Palace, where Mrs. John F. Kennedy comes to fulfill a childhood dream. That dream was to visit Angkor Wat, a spectacular complex of temples dating back to the 12th century. With Mrs. Kennedy is Lord Harlech during the nine-day tour of temples, palaces, and exotic landmarks. It was in this exotic setting so far from home that Harlech asked Jackie to marry him. It was the third proposal that Jackie had gotten in her life, and although she had feelings for him as well, she said no. It would have meant Jackie moving to Britain. She couldn't do that. One reason was because of the two most important people in her life, her daughter Caroline and son John. My children are Americans, Jackie said, and I want them raised in America. But there was more to it than that, More now from my conversation with Jackie biographer Pamela Keough. She told him in a letter that uh, uh, although she had feelings for him, he reminded her too much of of her painful past. And for that reason, she couldn't do it. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, that absolutely sounds reasonable. And then, yeah, as I said, they were drawn together because they shared this past. But then again, had she married him, one, she'd have to go live abroad in England because she'd be the wife of a lord. But she would have to leave America and, and you know, bring her children abroad. And I'm not sure she would have been able to do that. But again, it would have been, it, it just would have been too enmeshed in the past. As I said, he was such a good friend of her husband. In fact, later correspondence between the two that only surfaced in 2016 says this was the reason. Here's what Jackie told him. Quote, we have known so much and shared and lost so much together, even if it isn't the way you wish now, 
I hope that bond of love and pain will never be cut. You are like my beloved brother and mentor and the only original spirit I know, as you were to Jack, unquote. In other words, Jackie was always trying to forget her painful past, but Harlech was a big player in that past. She didn't need any more reminders of what she had been through. It surely didn't help Harlech, by the way, that his dream woman thought of him as only a brother. There is also this. Harlech was well off, but not fabulously wealthy. We discussed Jackie's insecurities about her finances previously. Clearly, if Jackie was going to remarry, and in 1967 and 68, this was the source of constant speculation and magazine covers, it would be to a man of wealth. Jackie's mother, Janet, had drilled this into Jackie and her sister, Lee, when they were young. Money and power, they were told, that's the secret to happily ever after. Both young ladies absorbed their mother's lesson. Nothing wrong with that. The new year, seven seconds, six, five... Four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! Anyway, as 1968 dawned, Jackie had every reason to be optimistic. Moving to New York had clearly paid off. Caroline, now 10, and John, now 7, were doing well in school. They were good kids, and Jackie was proud of them. The future looked good. But the past was never too far below the surface. In February, Jackie went to the opera in New York for a performance of Don Quixote, not knowing that at one point there would be a sudden gunshot. It so startled her that she jumped out of her seat. After Dallas, she would never get over sudden loud noises. Who could blame her? As for her personal life, even while Jackie declined to marry Lord Harlech, she was enjoying another relationship, this one with Roswell Gilpatrick, more commonly known as Roz, who had been Assistant Defense Secretary during the Kennedy administration. It seemed a disconnect, Jackie trying to forget her painful past while getting involved with one of its key players. I asked Pamela Kehoe about him. Everybody had a crutch on Roz Gilpatrick. Uh, again, you know, uh, smart, tough, handsome, successful, extremely uh, charismatic to the ladies, I will say. And uh, yeah, and again, she, she'd known him during his, her husband's administration. They remained friends afterwards. I believe he went on to have four or five wives. I could be wrong. But, you know, he was married and yet he was writing her you know, poetry and love letters. And I mean, they had a, they had a, they had an intimate friendship, I would say. In March, 1968, Jackie and Roz vacationed together on Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. She was 38, he was 61. Gilpatrick said, quote, we were very much in love, end quote. And also, quote, the trip to Mexico was very romantic, and Jackie surprised me by being so free and open about us. That's what he said. There's nothing on the record from Jackie to that effect, though one reporter who had followed Jackie for years saw them together and said that there was, quote, a lot of public smooching and hand-holding. But Gilpatrick sensed that something was wrong. 
Years later, he said, quote, the strange thing about the Yucatan trip is that by then I realized we weren't going to work out. Even at the most romantic moments, she kept mentioning Aristotle Onassis's name. What did I think of him? Was he as rich as they said he was? Was he, as some people said, a pirate? End quote. Kilpatrick added, and I'm quoting again, she felt he was very protective toward her and that he cared about the children and their welfare. She was weighing the pros and cons, and it became very clear very fast that Onassis was the man who most intrigued her, unquote. So now we move into the pivotal part of Jackie's story. It's the winter of 1968. She clearly has her eye on Onassis. Her lover, Gilpatrick, figured it out. A prior lover, John Warnicke, also knew that Jackie needed someone with a lot of money. Meantime, it seemed clear to more Americans, if not most, that the Vietnam War could not be won. That was made clear by a surprise communist offensive in January, the Tet Offensive, it was called. Lyndon Johnson's popularity plunged, and in March, he barely won the New Hampshire primary, beating anti-war candidate Senator Eugene McCarthy by just a few points. Seeing LBJ's weakness, another candidate, just four days later, got into the race, Robert Kennedy. I am announcing today my candidacy for the presidency of the United States. I do not run for the presidency merely to oppose any man, but to propose new policies. President Johnson saw the writing on the wall. Two weeks later, at the end of a primetime speech on Vietnam, he dropped this bombshell. I shall not seek, and I will not accept, the nomination of my party for another term as your president. In a prior episode, I mentioned that Jackie disliked politics. She married into it, but that doesn't mean she liked it. And when she learned that her beloved brother-in-law, Robert, was running for president, she had mixed feelings. She supported his ambitions, but worried that something might happen to him. At a dinner party on April 2nd, she told a friend, Arthur Schlesinger, quote, Do you know what I think will happen to Bobby? The same thing that happened to Jack. There is too much hatred in this country, and more people hate Bobby than hated Jack. That's why I don't want him to be president. I've told Bobby this, but he isn't fatalistic like me, unquote. Of America's hatred, she was right. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. Few knew that this speech by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would be his last. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That was April 4th. Robert Kennedy that night was in Indianapolis, and he took it upon himself to deliver the bad news. I have some very sad news for all of you, and that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. The King assassination stunned America. Rioting began within minutes and would spread to more than 100 cities coast to coast, said to be the worst urban unrest since the Civil War. At home in New York, Jackie 
horrified at the assassination, horrified that another leader could be cut down, said, quote, they killed that man for no reason. She packed a bag and flew to Atlanta to pay her respects to Coretta Scott King. There's a powerful photo of the two widows in King's home, both dressed in black, holding hands. Jackie knew what Mrs. King was going through more than anybody else she knew. She walked during the funeral, so did Robert and Ethel Kennedy, who clung to her husband. As the Kennedys and other VIPs marched, Jackie's Secret Service guards and police kept an eye on the crowd. By the way, political candidates in those days did not have Secret Service protection, so Bobby, along with other candidates that year, notably Eugene McCarthy and former Vice President Richard Nixon, took their chances in public. Let's pause for a short break. You're listening to Jackie, a podcast based on my book about Jacqueline Kennedy's transformation from First Lady to Jackie O. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Welcome back. I was talking about the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King in April 1968. Another gunshot, another young leader killed, another sad moment for Jackie. She had been trying since November 1963 to forget her own tragedy, now this. But guess who came to the rescue? Aristotle Onassis. It was just a few days before Easter, and the Greek tycoon whisked her away, along with Caroline and John, on his private jet to Palm Beach. It was low-key, they made no public appearances, but for Jackie, always worried about her security and that of her kids, it was a reminder that Onassis, always attentive to her needs, always came through. The Palm Beach getaway wasn't their only vacation that spring. In late May, Onassis took Jackie on a Caribbean cruise. There's speculation that it was here on Ari's opulent yacht on the warm blue sea that the subject of marriage first came up. 
but Jackie was still a Kennedy, and Robert was gaining momentum in his quest for the Democratic nomination. Whatever feelings Jackie had for Ari were secondary to her brother-in-law's ambitions. In fact, when Jackie reportedly told Bobby that things were getting serious with Ari, he exploded. For God's sakes, Jackie, he said, this could cost me five states. The bottom line here, Robert Kennedy's presidential ambitions came first, and Jackie seemed fine with that. So is Onassis, who understood that to win Jackie, he'd only have to wait until November at the latest. I said the latest. On June 4th, the Tuesday, Jackie went to a party at Bobby's campaign headquarters in Midtown Manhattan. She came home and went to bed, delighted that Bobby had won the crucial California primary. In Los Angeles, a jubilant Bobby spoke to supporters in the Ambassador Hotel. So, uh, my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Bobby departed, his freelance security guards, friends really, escorted him into a grimy pantry behind the ballroom. Shots rang out, and pandemonium erupted. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Is that possible? Is that possible? A continent away, Jackie's phone rang. Upon hearing the shocking news, she cried, No, it can't have happened. No. And she flew to Los Angeles. Here's a newsreel from that day. Jackie Kennedy, sister-in-law, widow of the late president, arrived to join the family's bedside vigil. She knew so well the horror of this moment. But there was no hope for Bobby, who had a bullet in the brain. Jackie stood by the bedside as the end came. Bobby's spokesman, Frank Mankiewicz, made the grim announcement. Senator Robert Francis Kennedy died at 1.44 a.m. today. June 6, 1968, with Senator Kennedy, at the time of his death, were his wife, Ethel, his sisters, Mrs. Stephen Smith, Mrs. Patricia Lawford, brother-in-law, Mr. Stephen Smith, his sister-in-law, Mrs. John F. Kennedy. He was uh, 42 years old. Four and a half years after her husband's murder, another Kennedy had fallen victim to an assassin's bullet. Jackie was shattered again. Earlier in this series, I mentioned that Jackie had discussed ending her life after her husband's assassination. Now, thoughts of death came flooding back. She made a chilling comment to Mankiewicz about dying. If it weren't for the children, she said we'd welcome it. In our next episode... O Lord, be merciful to the soul of your servant, Robert, for whom we offer this sacrifice of prayer. A second Kennedy assassination in four and a half years. For Jackie, it shattered her world, erasing the fragile progress she had made since her husband's murder. Her agony and fear would push her into the arms of her second husband. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out my new book on Jackie, Between Her Two Marriages. It's called Jackie, 
her transformation from First Lady to Jackie O. Available everywhere. And if you're enjoying this show, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help other history fans find it. Special thanks this week to Pamela Keogh, our producer, Hannah Ray Leach, sound designer and engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. Show theme by Josh Perlman Hall. I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks for listening. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.